The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. What a great way to, uh, to come together and sing the songs and tell the story of God's grace for us. God's never ending glory that one day all things will be made right and all suffering and sin will be away and that we will live forever. Glorious presence of our God. Let me invite you to open to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. We began last week a series that will be at least a year uh, in this book. We will walk through verse by verse, looking at the different um, details of this book, Paul's letter to the, the church there in Corinth. And uh, this sermon series is entitled A Living Reflection of the Living God. And uh, if, if you just read through this, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you, you will understand very quickly, you will come to understand that, that they're anything but a reflection of the living God. If anything, they are a reflection of culture around them. Uh, there, is, there, there is sexual morality in the church. There's incest in the church. There's drunkenness at the Lord's Supper in the church. There's, there's just wicked stuff, just bad stuff going on. What Paul's going to do is he's going to come to them and he's going to, he's going to correct them. He's going to discipline. He's going, going to admonish them in different directions away from being a reflection of the culture to be, becoming a reflection of who they are in Christ. But uh, before he gets to that, he, uh, he writes a greeting to them. I want you to hear this greeting. If you will follow along with me as I read beginning in verse 4. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9 this morning. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me start out this morning by just asking you a question. Have you ever had to deal with any difficult people in your life? You know, every one of us can, can right now, there's, there's images, pictures, pictures, Coming to your mind. Some of you right now are, are tempted to maybe look around the room, you know, give a glare to somebody, you can do that. Uh, but all of us know what it's like to deal with difficult people. Um, even in the family of God, we know what it's like to deal with difficult people. Uh, yesterday, I was, uh, or this weekend, I had, I had a privilege of spending uh, three days with, with your church staff together, just, just us together. And I got to tell you, we should thank God for uh, taking me out of the equation, but our church staff, uh, minus me, we've got an incredible church staff. These guys, these young guys, are, uh, are just passionate about the Lord. We've got to spend time together. But we're away at this little community conference, and I'm in a bookstore, and I'm perusing the books. It's crowded. There's people everywhere. And I had patiently waited. There was one particular shelf that I wanted to get to, and I wanted to see and uh, I kind of waited for, for people to kind of move out of the way. I was going to be polite. I mean, I'm, I'm six foot three and, and 200 and 
pounds, and, and I, you know, I could, I could very easily just sort of just push my way in there, you know. But I was just trying to be courteous and think of others before myself, and, and I, I'm looking there, and it finally opens up, and I kind of step in just a little bit, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy, who had not been waiting, comes and stands right in front of me, right where I was going to sit. Everything he did, he wanted to just smack the back of his head. <laughs> and I just wanted to not, not punch him. I just wanted to kind of go, you know, you know, you know. And and he, and I thought, okay, okay, I'll give this guy the benefit of the doubt. He picked up the book. I thought he'll pick up the book and he'll step back out of the way, and and, and I'm okay with that. No. He steps in there, saves, picks up the book, opens the book, then calls his friends over. I was upset. I wanted to just take him down. I wanted to just, you know, kick his knees, you know, just like, let him fall. And I can't go to Said I didn't. And all of us had those, those kind of um, experiences. Maybe it's on the highway, or maybe it's in a store, or maybe getting a parking spot a parking lot and you were waiting and someone went in that last spot. We all know what it's like to deal with difficult people in difficult situations, but, but those are those are easy to get over. I simply turn around and walk out of the bookstore and decide I didn't need to look anyway. I would just go and I would get back to what we're doing. But what about when it gets more personal? What about when it's a person that you can't get away from? What about when it's somebody that you work with? Or go to school with, or live with, or go to church with. That's what Paul is now dealing with here. He's dealing with people that he can't get away from. Maybe there's people in your life that you can't get away from because you work, or go to school, or live with, or go to church with. They're there in your life, and, and you shouldn't get away from them. But, but if they're just difficult, they're hard to deal with. People that begin to criticize every decision that you make. They begin to question every little thing. They, they even go beyond that, maybe. Somebody in your life, and they begin to spread lies about you. Maybe they begin to spread gossip, and, and they just want to hurt you. Maybe they want to see you be fired or get you in trouble or, 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 or hurt you in some way. What about when it's a brother or sister in Christ? Let's be real honest today. Yes, this is a wonderful place. This is the gathering of the faith family that have the But the reality is, this side of heaven, we're still going to have pride and egos creep in because we're not yet conformed to the now we've been, since I've been here, we've been walking through and I've, I've taken extended amounts of time to, to put before you the gospel and hold the, the basic, fundamental truth of the gospel. We, we've looked at it as God has created. We have rebelled and fallen. God sent a rescue in Jesus and one day He's going to take us to be restored. He will consummate His world history plan. We've, we've spent two years, three years looking at that. With the intention that if I were to come to you, if I would have come to you three years ago and just began to walk through First Corinthians together, and you heard Paul say some of the things that he's going to say, you would leave only frustrated because it would be a list of do's and a list of don'ts, but you would not have it rooted in the gospel. Paul here, let's be honest, sitting in the church, there are people who are saved by grace but who are not yet like Christ. We're in the already saved, but not yet conformed to the image of Christ. 
The reality is, in church, it's very possible we hurt. It's very possible to hurt other people. It's very possible to deal with difficult brothers and sisters. It's very possible to be a difficult brother or sister. How should we respond to these? Chances are you have dealt with somebody in the church, a brother or a sister who's been difficult. They've said things about you. They've stirred up uh, all sorts of controversy and been divisive. As a pastor, I've dealt with this uh, more than once. I'd like to tell you that, uh, Mr. Real Trainer, I'd like to tell you that I've always handled that perfectly. The reality is, I have. None of us have. When you see us standing up here on the platform, don't ever elevate us to a position that we are not. Every single one of us is in need of the gospel every single day. We need to continue in this journey of being informed in the of Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians is going to show us the right way to deal with difficult people. Many of you may be, may be here. You may be active today. You've been here for a few weeks or a year or more. Maybe this is your first Sunday with us and you're here because you're leaving from a situation where there's just too many difficult people or difficult situations. And in some of those, in, in some of those situations, it was right for you to leave. It's right for you to leave. It's, it's right for you to, to be here. But let's also be honest that it could be possible that maybe it's not right. But you'll never, you won't hear this message very often. A pastor standing and saying, maybe you don't need to come to this church. Maybe you need to go and reconcile. The goal here is not for us to fill these seats. It's not for us to build a big church so that we can send stats into, into the association or into Nashville and brag about, about all of what's going on here. The goal, if we're honest, we want the Word of God and the Spirit of God to transform us into the character of Christ. Regardless of what that means. To say, yes, God. Let's not be the church that shuts down the Word of God. What I'm hoping for, what I'm praying for, and this is a little dangerous for me to say, but what I'm praying for in these verses and then forward through the rest of this book, what I'm praying for is that we would, we would become, that God would make us the kind of church that people are not fleeing from. But where people are doing life together. Where they're disagreeing on things, yet coming under the authority of God's Word. They're able to, to talk and reconcile and, and come to, to issues with, with openness. Because there is greater love that comes from Christ. Now I'm not talking about those who are, who are just absolutely refusing to come under the authority of the Word of God. If someone is in the church and all they're doing is causing dissension because they refuse to come under the authority of God's Word, then hear me and hear me clearly. They need to leave. Let me sound harsh to you, but the reality is you can't come in and be a member of a church without coming under the authority of the Word of God. You don't get to say, I come through Christ, but I'm going to reject the rest of His Word. You don't get to come and say, I, I want to come through Christ, but I'm going to cause all sorts of trouble in this bride. 
That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the church, a faith family coming together and saying, you know what, we're not all perfect, but we all come through Christ. God has put His Word as authoritative over us. Let's submit ourselves to it and grow in Christ together for the glory of our God and all nations. Doesn't that sound like a more healthy church? It does me. It's not the only one. Well, let's look at this. Paul's going to show us how we should respond to difficult people, particularly difficult Christians. In verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Now stop right there because it's important for you to realize what's going on and who he's writing to. Paul's not writing to a church where everything's going well, where they are submitted to the Word of God, where they are on mission for Christ, where they are all getting along together. Instead, he's writing to a church where there are people in that church questioning him, questioning his message, questioning his authority, leading factions away from following him. Where there's hyper-spirituality, some looking at another brother and saying, you're not as spiritual as me. I mean, you, you're, you're junior varsity and I've made it to the varsity team. This is, this is who he's writing to. They are calling him simple. They are calling him unqualified. They are looking at his apostleship when, when God knocked him off of his horse. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? When he blinds him, knocks him off of his horse, and then raises him up to be the apostle that would write 13 letters over half of our New Testament. Take the, the mission into parts of the world where it at that time did not exist. And if he had not, there's a strong possibility that we would exist. This is who he's writing to. He's thanking God for these difficult people. They were slandering him. They were questioning him. They were calling him and his message simple, leading factions against him. Now keep in mind that Paul was not, Paul didn't choose his career path. It's not like, it's like Paul said, you know what? I'm just kind of bored with what I'm doing. I think I need a change. So you know what I think would be good in this, this society, in the Greco-Roman world, where, where Christians are dragged out of their homes and killed? You know what I think would be good? I think I'll become a Christian apostle. That would be a good career move for me. Is that what Paul did? Absolutely not. In fact, Paul's climbing the ladder of his own. He's climbing the ladder of who's who among the Jewish society. He's quickly on his way to becoming the one that, that the entire Jewish world would look to as, as a leader. He's persecuting Christians. He's, he's the one dragging them out of their homes, holding the coats while Christians are being stoned to death. This is not Paul here saying, hey, hey, I want to do this because this is going to be promising for me. This is going to benefit me. Instead, God knocked him off the source and called him away from every dream he had ever had. He left everything, everything that he had ever known, everything he had ever wanted to know, he left it all for their good and for God's glory. And now they are despising him, ridiculing him, and leading a movement against him. 
They're not going quietly. They're stirring up all sorts of trouble. So what does Paul do? We just read in this first verse, in verse 4. Paul thanks God for them. He is going to correct them. And we're going to see this over the next year or so. He's going to spend time correcting them. He's going to be in their face. He's going to not paint with broad strokes. But he's going to get down to the most finite details. And he is going to call sin, sin. He is going to call them away from it. But right now, he wants to affirm some things about them. He looks at these who he knows are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. And he thanks God for them. Isn't it the hardest thing in the world to do sometimes? To look at someone who is, who is despising you and making your life miserable to thank God for them. I mean, you may utter a prayer, but in your heart, maybe it's, it's hard for you to mean it. Paul here is as sincere and genuine as he possibly could be. We must ask the question, how is he able to do this? Well, I think there's three things in this verse that lead to Paul being able to thank God for these difficult Christians in his life. Number one, Paul is able to thank God for these difficult Christians by remembering the past. Remember the past. And here's what I would tell you. If you've got a difficult brother or sister in your life, it will help if you will remember the past, both theirs and yours. Paul says in verse 4, he continues when he says, I thank my God always for you. He then says, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. He remembers the grace of God, how it came to them, how the message was preached to them, and how they received by faith that message. And God's grace was, was evident in their lives. He is confident that both, that both in what they had received and what he had received, neither of them deserved to even, even be having a conversation. You understand that? Paul knows that. Paul's not sitting in, in his study somewhere writing this letter. As a privileged individual who feels entitled to the grace that he has received in Christ. No, he remembers that he was on the outside. He remembers what a sinner he was. He remembers that he should still be on the outside. That he should still be a hater of God and God's people. That he should still be hated by God. You think that's strong language. God never hated anyone. That's not what Psalm chapter 5 says. Psalm 5, verses 5 through 6 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. This, is, this, is, this is blows up many of our concepts about how we do God. Well, God is love. We kind of picture God like Bob Ross. Anybody remember Bob Ross? Remember the painter on PBS? He's dead now. But he would come out with that damn old afro. And, and he didn't walk to the, to the easel. He would just sort of float to the easel. You know, and he would get out there. And he would paint trees. Paint a lake. Paint a mountain. He would say things like, We don't make mistakes. We just make happy accidents. You know? Made a real impression on me. 
reality is some of those things that's how God is. And God looks at your life and, and doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter who you are or what you do or what you think or what you say. God just sort of floats out of where you are and says, oh, we, we don't make mistakes. It's happy accidents. And he just sort of wipes across your life and makes something beautiful out of it. The reality is, Psalm 5, verse 5 says, that in your sin without Christ, God hates you. Let that sink in. This notion of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is blown up here. The way we see God loves us is that He sent Christ to take our punishment. That God is so holy that it took the murdering of His own Son. He couldn't just sweep your sin under the rug. Hear me. Paul understands what he received in Christ. And he looks at these, even those who are slandering him and talking in bad ways about him and causing dissension. He looks at them and he understands. I don't know how he knows that they are genuine believers. But he affirms that you're recipients of God's grace. I thank God for you because you received the grace of God in Christ Jesus. There are times when I've dealt with difficult people in my life and dealt with difficult people in the church. I have to ask the question, are they really saved? Do they really know you? Because God, they don't act like there's any genuine relationship with you. They don't act like they have the Spirit of God. But Paul here is not quick to write them off. He knows that God is God and He is not. And He, he extends grace to them. He thanks God for them. Gordon Fee said it this way, to delight in, in, in God's working, in the working of God uh, in their lives, in the lives of others, especially even in the lives of those with whom one feels compelled to disagree is sure evidence of one's own awareness of being the recipient of God's mercies. So before you're standing like I was in a bookstore on a, on a campus of a Southern Baptist seminary with probably another believer wanting to smack you in the back of his head and kick his knee and take you down, remember that you don't deserve the grace you have received in Christ and in this heat. You have been given that as a gift. Secondly, how does Paul thank God for these difficult Christians? He takes an honest look at their present. And it would help us if we would at times take an honest look at the present. Look at these people who are causing all sorts of grief for us and just honestly take stock. And if they are genuine believers, if they have our recipients of grace, then they have the same Holy Spirit that you do. Look at verses 5 through 7. The first part of verse 5 says that in every way you were enriched in Him. Paul oh, understands and he affirms here that if they are genuine believers, if they have received the grace of God in Christ, if they have the Holy Spirit, then they are enriched in every way. This means is that he knows that there are no, there's no such thing as JV Christians. 
There's no such thing as Christians who need to sit the bench because they just don't have what they need yet. There's no such thing as a, as a Christian who needs to sit on the sidelines. But instead, yes, yes, there's growing to do. But in Christ, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Too often, Christians are not in the game because they're not appropriate what they have received. They don't pick that up. They, they, they trusted in Christ to, to forgive them of their sins. But then they sin. In many times, people don't, don't walk in what they have in Christ. They don't own their identity in Christ either because of laziness. And let's be honest. In a culture where there are churches virtually on every corner, it is very easy to be a lazy Christian. If a church begins to, to push and prod and begin to hold you accountable and ask you to actually get busy serving the Lord, it's very easy for you to say, I don't have to take this. I'll go over there. We live in a church hopping society. Some people don't pick up their identity in Christ because they are lazy. Others because it's, it's out of ignorance. The Bible says, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, people perish. The reality is our churches, our churches across America they are filled with people who claim to know Christ and maybe probably they are. They are recipients of grace, but they're not hearing the word of God. They're not hearing who they are in Christ and what they have and what they've been given and what they're called to do. Instead, they, they hear the, the latest fad in, in culture. They hear the top ways to do this or, or here's nine ways to do that. But they don't, they don't hear Preachers stand and say, Thus says the Lord. They don't, they don't do what Psalm 1 talks about in making the law of the Lord the delight of their hearts. They don't have Sunday school teachers who are, who are opening the Word of God and, and showing them the Word of God and calling them to own what they have in Christ by the power of the Spirit. So there, there are people who are Christians who, who are just sedentary, they're, they're lazy, and there's this group that they, they don't have anyone taking them, showing them what this is. Paul says, in every way you were enriched in him. And he's not taking an honest look at who they are in the present. He's not saying, you know, one day you will get there. I mean, you're, you're just a bunch of heathens now. I mean, you make me sick. But one day, he's not saying that. He's saying that right now, you're enriched in every way in Christ. You have everything that you need. You have everything that you need in order to follow Christ. To live for His glory. He specifically here points out all speech and knowledge. These were the two things they were using against Paul the most. These were their weapons of choice. They would wield the speech and knowledge against him. They, they claimed that, uh, that they were more spiritual than Paul. Paul was simple and they weren't even sure about his salvation anymore because 
because they could speak in tongues. They, they valued knowledge that went beyond the gospel. Paul specifically names these two issues because he understands that these gifts are gifts from God. And the gifts are not the problem. It's their attitude about the gifts. He says, even, even these things you're using against me, these gifts of speech, this gift of knowledge, it is it's not something that is not from God. It is from God. Praise God for these things. He thanks God for the gun they are shooting him with. The knife they are stabbing him with. Sometimes we begin to think wrongly about what we have received in the same way that they were thinking wrongly about these gifts of speech and knowledge. We begin to think more highly of ourselves. We take credit for things. We become arrogant. But to become arrogant about what you have received would be the equivalent of an older sibling bragging to a younger sibling that they were one first. Because they didn't do anything. They were back the younger sibling in the ones of the father, wanting to get to the womb of the mother first. Simply the choice of God. And every one of you, if you're in Christ, you've been enriched in all things, in all ways in Christ. You don't have to wait for what you have been given that is a gift from God. It, is, it should bring no boasting not one of us in here that can, that can boast about where we are or what we can do. Because everything we have is a gift from God. He goes on, he says, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Instead of becoming alienated and estranged from one another when we don't perfectly follow Christ, we should look for and celebrate evidences of God's grace in our lives. That's what he's saying. Paul looks at them and no, they're letting him down. They're more than letting him down. They are attacking him. And instead of writing them off and going separate from them and getting his own group of supporters together, instead he, he looks for evidence of God's grace in their life. And he affirms that and celebrates that. I remember years ago, back around 1995 or 96, uh, I wanted to take up the game of golf. I never played golf before in my life. Um, and and I, there were some guys in our church that played golf, and so I decided I'll take up this game. And so uh, there was a man in the church by the name of Kenny Lundy. Kenny said, I, I'll, I'll show you a few things. I'll, I'll try to teach you to play golf. Well, I bought a set of clubs, just a, just a used set of clubs, and we went out to drive there just one night. We were going to play golf the next morning. I had scheduled this thing. I said, yeah, let's play golf. And scheduled to go. Kenny, that night, asked me uh, the, the night before, you ever play golf? No. What's, what's the big deal? We'll go out tomorrow. We'll, we'll, we'll play golf. You've never played golf before? Let's go to the driving range like right now, is what Kenny said. Kenny took me to the driving range and he, he got bucket balls and he teed one up for me and he said, okay, he said, just take a swing of the ball. With, uh, with what club? Yeah. So what was this one? Take this one. Well, I took that club and I held it in my hand and I 
sort of stood funny on the ball and, and, and took a swing and it was ugly and it, was, it looked horrible. And when I, when I swung and I <laughs> missed the ball away. He said, okay, no big deal. Just, just take another swing. Just, just take your time. Just keep your eye on the ball. Just, just hit the ball. Line up. I'm ball. I'm back. I swing. This time I'm watching the ball, but instead of the club coming in contact with the ball, my club comes in contact with the ground. Right there. What is that? It's no big deal. Just, just, just keep going. Just step back. Just take a deep breath. Just watch the ball. He said, just take another swing. Just easy swing. Just follow through and just hit the ball. Okay, I'll just Only it didn't go. He said, Anybody been there? Over and over and over again, I hit this little white ball that they make look so easy on television. I hit it into the woods so many times. Into the water. I mean, it's crazy. The good thing about Kenny was, two things were good about Kenny. Kenny was a squirrel hunter, which was good because he was used to seeing things fall from trees. So he could spot my ball and take me to my ball, even if it were 200 yards into the woods, and sometimes it was. Okay? That was a good thing about Kenny. The other good thing about Kenny was Kenny stuck with him. Kenny would see little things and he would say, okay, you're bending your arm on top. Keep, keep that front arm straight. I'm not supposed to keep my arm straight. I can't do that. So just, just do it. He would work with me. He said, okay, now, now turn your hands a little bit. Now, now move this foot. Now, now keep your head down. I need to work. I need to work. I'm still not a good golfer. But I, I came to the place where I was fewer times hitting the ball off in the woods. Fewer times hitting the ground before I hit the ball. Because there was a man who looked beyond my disastrous play and affirmed the, the game of golf that had hints in there. In the same way, we have churches that are filled with, with immature Christians. Because they, they look at other Christians who seem to have it all together. They seem to be able to, to, to do a quiet time, pray, speak in front of people, and, and share their faith, and all these sort of things. It's just so well, and, and there are some that just sit back and say, do that. I don't know what I would do. And instead of the person who is doing those things coming alongside and saying, hey, hey, keep your arms straight. Keep your head down. Instead, we have a tendency to just push people inside. And what we need, what we need is for believers, genuine believers who are rich in every way, Come alongside new believers. Come alongside difficult people and help them to grow up in the world. To help them to, to become more like Christ. We should, instead of alienating and strengthening ourselves from one another, we should look for and celebrate evidences of God's grace in our lives.
That's one way Paul is able to thank God for him. He says, look, you're not there, but here's what I see in you. I see these gifts and his confirmation that Christ has saved you. And now I just want to let into the rest of the world. There's one other way, though, that, that he is able to thank God for him. It's in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, he says to them, as you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ, he will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you are you were called in the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want to show you a few things in this. We must embrace the level of patience with one another, understanding that we are not what we will be. 1 John 3 2 says it this way, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Listen to this. Walk, walk through what Paul says to the Corinthians. Who will sustain you to you? And I've said this before, but aren't you glad it's not up to you to sustain your standing before God? Aren't you glad it's not up to you to punch your ticket in the head? Because if, if it were up to me, I would have that ticket one minute, and it would be lost and gone the next. I, I, I receive, I receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ one minute, but if He has sustained that in me, if He doesn't impute righteousness, the righteousness of Christ to me, if He doesn't give what Jesus did to me, so that there's this positive, ongoing, never. Never, never running out of town in my life. And I can be forgiven one minute, but I'm going to lose it. But because God is faithful, God will sustain us to be here. He sees them as they will be. That's the third thing. He sees them as they will be. He remembers their past. He takes an honest look at their present. And then he sees them as they will be. Look, he says, who will sustain you to the end? He says, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they're not guiltless in this moment, let's be honest. I mean, no, if, if, if we were to have Lord Supper up here today, and, and we're, we're not using grape juice, but we're using the real stuff, it's wine, and, and, and we come in here, and there are people that showed up early, who came in and just emptied out every tray of, of that and got drunk in this place, would we look at any of them and say, guiltless before Christ? If, if there was a man in this congregation who was sleeping with his father's wife, would we look at him and say, guiltless? You're a good man. So how is Paul able to say here, how is Paul able to say that God will sustain you and present you guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ? It goes to what I just said a minute ago, that God, when He saves us, He has paid the price for every sin that we have committed, are committing, or will ever commit. He imputes or gives the righteousness of Christ to us. He is sanctifying us in the everyday hour of our lives. 
so that the things that one day we're struggling with, as the years go by, we become free from those sins. There will be other sins and we will not be totally conformed to the image of Christ until we are glorified. But He is in this process of making us guiltless. And the Word promises that those whom He justified, He will also glorify. And Paul knows that these who are causing Him so much grief are not what they will be. He looks at what they will be because, he says, God is faithful. Philippians 1.6, another letter that Paul wrote, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began good work in you will bring it to completion. He will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That day of Christ Jesus is that day when Jesus will come again and usher in eternity to him. It's going to come to completion. What God starts, he completes. And then notice, this is a beautiful little word. That if we were just a reader real quick, we would read past this, this greeting of this letter and get into the meat of things. Because, let's be honest, if there's a traffic accident on the road, we all rub that a little bit. So we'd love to get past verse 9 and get into where Paul's just going to lay into them. We'd love to see that carnage. But don't miss this word as he's writing and tenderly expressing the love of God toward them that he has received. In Christ. He says to them in the last part of verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's our Lord. He doesn't write them off. He doesn't say, you know, I'm not sure about you. I, I, know, who, I know who my God is. That's a sure thing. He said he draws them close and he says, you know, you're pushing me away and you 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 don't like me very much right now and you just assume I would fall off the face of the planet. But the reality is we are brought together in Christ. And so he is your Lord and he's my Lord, therefore he's our Lord. Church, what this opening little section, just these few verses in the first part of 1 Corinthians should should call to uh, call us to that we would begin to look at brothers and sisters, remember their past and ours. Remember that all of the reason we're here today is because of the grace of God. That we would begin to look at each other and say, it's not that there's potential in you outside of Christ, but because Christ is in you, there's tremendous potential. And that we would look at one another and we'd be gracious and develop this, this culture of patience. Enduring for one another because we are not yet what we will be. God will bring it to the end. But if the Spirit of God resides in another person, then he is your brother or she is your sister if the Spirit of God resides in you as well. Let us love one another. Let us outdo one another in showing honor. May God make us a beautiful family. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much God, for just these opening verses in 1 Corinthians. God, I pray that you would use them however you would use them. God, we know that you are gracious, we know that you are good, we know that you are loving. God, we also know that you, you are a 
holy God, having to judge sin. God, thank you for Christ. That you have judged sin on him. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. Thank you for sending Jesus. That he came not to be served, but to serve. And lay his life down as a ransom for me. God, I, I pray that in this place today, God, that we would call people out of darkness and into light. God, where there's only death, God, I pray that you breathe life. God, in this place this morning, God, I pray that you would, you would call sinners to repent and to trust in you. God, I pray that in this place that you use this message, your word, and this message, God, to, to reconcile brothers and sisters. That we would become a living reflection 